0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio,
1: broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show we're going to talk a little about pre-emerge wheat herbicides. Now even if you don't raise wheat, a lot of these pre's or at least similar modes of action can be used in other crops. And just some of the same general discussions we'll have in wheat really apply to every crop out there. I mean, weed control if you don't do it well it's gonna kill you and you know i I just darren have thought over the last few years here there are so many people that are asking for the silver bullet what's what's gonna take my yield to the next level and then i see people neglecting weed control and it's like if you don't start with the basics there's no way to maximize yield
0: yeah, exactly. There's no, no question about that. It, it always comes back to the basics, no matter what we're working on.
1: All right. So in terms of pre-emerge wheat herbicides, we usually talk about three different chemistries. The first one, Sharpen, it's a PPO. So it's a little different mode of action than you're going to be used to in wheat. We use it all the time, that mode of action in soybeans and sometimes in corn. But with that Sharpen pre-emerge, it's fantastic on broadleaves. Now, it's not the cheapest thing. You're probably gonna spend ten, twelve dollars an acre to get a couple ounces of sharpened. But let's say you have a kosher disaster. Well, that's what you gotta start with.
0: Hey, let me let me just switch gears here just a little bit with that discussion, Brian, because you say, Well, it's not the cheapest thing out there. I don't really care how much stuff costs. I care what my return on investment is going to be. If I have kochia getaway in my wheat field, my yield is going to be zero in those areas where there's a thick kochia patch. And harvestability becomes about zero until, well, you get a frost. Well, you're not going to get a frost in July when guys are going to harvest around here. So that means... Now we've got to do a pre harvest burn down to get to those patches. I've got to drive over stuff or I've got to harvest the rest of the field, then spray over the top of these patches, which are probably going to yield close to zero. It's a disaster. The return on investment when you've got a weed problem with using a pre emerge herbicide is going to be great. And if you say on my farm, well, hey, I don't know, I, I don't have any data that's going to show me that. Okay, use a pre on half the field and see how it turns out compared to the other half of the field if you've got a weedy disaster.
1: All right. Now, I, I said sharpen is a little more expensive. The cheapest option is going to be prepare. We've talked about prepare for years. It's the same chemistry, same mode of action as Everest. But anyway, it's ALS. So obviously it's not going to kill your ALS-resistant weeds, but it's got good activity in a lot of different grasses, including some of the brome species, and it's not too bad on many of the winter annuals and a number of other broadleaf weeds that are not ALS resistant. Then the third group is newer. Group 15. So we use that all the time in corn, a lot of times in soybeans, but in wheat there's only one group 15 herbicide labeled, that's Zidua, or at least I should say that mode of action, that um, that active ingredient. That active ingredient that's in Zidua is also the same one that's in Anthem Flex. So Anthem Flex is just a combination of that group 15 plus a burn-down product, aim that has no residual and is a PPO. So Anthem Flex is the way a lot of guys go. But the point here is there are three different pre-emerge modes of action we talk about all the time, and we just encourage you to check one of those out if you're not using a pre in wheat right now. But we'll talk about pre-emerge wheat herbicides a little more as we go throughout the show today. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. <music>
0: All right, Brian, let's talk a little calcium here. Uh, This one comes in from Nelson. He said, uh, hey, guys, uh, I've got a field in Colorado here that I have grid sampled this fall. And I got high base saturation magnesium uh, up to 32%.
1: Wait, you you didn't give me high magnesium. Are you Uh, sure we're talking the right ones? Who is this for? And where is it at? Yeah, I don't have Nelson's. Uh-oh. So Darren handed me the wrong soil test because I'm like, wait a second here. Uh, okay. 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 This is a high, then, high calcium field. You go know ahead.
0: what? He didn't have an attachment. I grabbed the next one. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Darren's it, already just, on the question okay, too. All okay. right,
1: go ahead. Uh, I've got high base <laughs>
0: saturation magnesium. Yep. Uh, it's 20% up to 32% and low percentage of calcium, 60% and up. I'm not sure why you're saying that's so low if it's in the 60s, but okay. Anyway, he said in these areas, the percent of K is 6 to 8% and the pH is 7.1 to 7.8. My sodium is low. It's 0 to 1. Uh, I was planning on trying to get my base saturation percentages a little more balanced. I'm curious what rate of gypsum you'd recommend to bring down the magnesium. Is gypsum the product of choice considering my calcium is at 60% or slightly better? Uh, gypsum isn't used in this area, but I've located a source I can get some.
1: Well, all right. We, we we have talked a lot about calcium and magnesium on the show, and I am still an enormous believer in, let's make sure we've got all the other nutrients taken care of before we go investing tons of money in something that we don't see as this all right, number so, one problem on the farm. So, so positive I, here. I, I,
0: we've got cal- we percentage of
1: potassium, potassium already in six, 6 to 8%. Right. But we don't know how we're doing on nitrogen or phosphorus. So- I'm just saying don't short something else because you go, well, I only have so many dollars and I figured my money would be best spent on gypsum. No, make sure you take care of your nitrogen, your phosphorus, your zinc, all these other things. But if you say, all right, I'm good on all the rest of that stuff. I'm going to invest whatever I need to on that. But I still want to do something with this calcium magnesium deal. Absolutely. We would tell you gypsum would be the way to go. It's going to raise your calcium percentage and You can, with all that sulfur you're throwing out there, force some of that magnesium out of the ground. If you turn magnesium into magnesium sulfate, that's Epsom salts. That's leachable, and with good drainage and natural rainfall, over time you can very slowly reduce those high magnesium levels. So yes, gypsum would be the product. How much to use? I don't know because I don't have all your soil test stuff, but start small and go from there. Maybe start with 500 pounds and just see what ends up happening over a couple, three years. Yeah, there's, there's
0: a lot you can do, and you can do some calculations based on your parts Absolutely. per million and all those kinds of things. They're, they're pretty straightforward mathematical calculations to see where you're
1: going to get They are, but by the same token, we don't know exactly what you want for the right level of magnesium because if it's lighter soil, for example, I like 20%. 20% is just fine in light soil, so you might be okay as you are right now today.
0: We will get to more of your calls and questions here in just a little bit, and we'll also continue our discussion on pre emerge wheat herbicides coming up right after this.
2: There's no time to mess around when it comes to early season protection from yield robbing pests and diseases. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is the next generation of at-plant protection. Through your liquid fertilizer system, get broad-spectrum defense and create an environment where seedlings can vigorously emerge with more uniformity, helping to optimize your productivity and yield. Get serious seedling defense with Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide. Ethos XB Insecticide Fungicide is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow all label directions.
3: There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Got a special guest star uh, working the phone lines today. Got Bo Shropshire back there doing a second job. He's looking for what, what he could do for an additional career and yeah, you know, this might be the thing. Answering phones here Why don't you for explain who he is, dear? Uh, of course, uh, if you're listening today, you you probably recognize the name Bo Shropshire. Where where did we hear about him from? Well, he's been on the show a number of times. We talked to him a lot about uh, nutrients. He, he does consulting out in California and beyond. Uh, helping folks with their soils. And we got in some good discussions today. You wanted to see where all this drain tile was going that we were talking about out here and, and some of the other things. So took a little farm tour this morning, had some good discussions uh, to to kind of kick the day off. He's in town this week for the Neo Kinsey seminar that's coming up uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's still time to sign up for that. Um, if you want to catch it online, especially, I think we're going to get some pretty nasty weather that might make travel here a little bit tough to to get to yeah but if you
1: get here tomorrow you should be fine yeah if you get here tomorrow before and it starts and plan on staying till the yeah, end of the then day you're, Thursday. Then,
0: you're, then you're locked in for a few <laughs> days and that's that's not a bad thing all right well uh we'll be talking fertility a lot uh coming up later this week at that clinic but today we're talking pre-emerge wheat herbicides and so happy to have wes everman with us right now from north carolina state
4: wes how you doing doing good how are you this afternoon
0: well, we are doing pretty well. Sun's shining out there and, you know, it won't be too much longer and guys will be back out in the field here. But uh, I'm guessing North Carolina might be a little different story. Maybe you guys are already out there.
4: Yeah, we got some guys already doing some burn downs, and uh, not I haven't seen much tillage yet, but our guys are getting ready to go and chomping at the bit.
0: Awesome. Awesome. OK, so we're talking pre-emerge herbicides ahead of wheat and a lot of wheat farmers that I talk to say either I've only been doing this for a couple years or I've never tried it before what what's it like in North Carolina are a lot of guys in that same boat or are most guys doing this now
4: I, I think it's a mix it depends what part of the state we're in uh our guys in the Piedmont have been doing pre-emergence herbicides probably for close to 10 years now primarily because of our uh multiple resistant Italian ryegrass. So we've, we've got areas of the state where once it's up, we can't control it post. So they've been using a lot of Peroxysulfone products, either Anthem Flex or Zidua, maybe even a little bit of Fierce uh, to try to hold those back. But a lot of the rest of the state to the east, uh, it's a little hit or miss. Uh, it depends on what weeds they're facing, but most of them still go primarily post-emergence.
0: Yeah, it's it's changed. Resistant weeds are definitely driving this. But I I was talking to to my brother here at the start of the show. I think I should look at it just from a standpoint of will it get me more yield, period. And and sure, there's there's some help like the Italian ryegrass. I know farmers we talk to in your area say uh, I'm not gonna go back to the old way, I gotta use this to <laughs> stop Italian ryegrass. But I, I look at the guys out here that say, Well, I've I've just got a few weeds, whether it's broadleaf or other grasses that I can clean up post, but if I take them out early and I don't have that weed competition, I could get more yield and, and the more yield part is the part that really excites me.
4: Yeah. And, you know, we've done a number of studies. It, interestingly, at least what we've seen in North Carolina is it might be a little bit species dependent, which maybe isn't so surprising if you think of some of the ones that grow big quickly influence the amount of nitrogen and ultimately the amount of tillering that your wheat does. And I'm no fertility expert or agronomist, but, The message I hear over and over at the winter meetings when I am with them is the more tillers you have, the more yield you have, right? And if those weeds are reducing your tiller number early on, you you can't help but expect a yield reduction. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about it a lot in other crops like corn and soybeans, for example. Oh, we got to get those weeds early. And if they get so many inches tall, they pulled so much yield away. Uh, it just makes sense that it's going to do the same thing in other crops. And you mentioned nitrogen fertilizer that those weeds are going to take up. What well, we found too, weeds are a pretty inefficient user of water and nutrients. So let's get them out of our field and save all those expensive and valuable things for our crop as much as we can. That's right. Now we've got some problem grass species here too. Uh, Italian ryegrass is not the worst one of them for us, uh, but talk to us about that Italian ryegrass. How big a problem is that? Uh, once guys have it, is it stuck in your field for a long time? Uh, and, and what are you seeing with crop rotation? Does that help too?
4: Yeah, so those are great questions. What we've been seeing, um, unfortunately, is it it tends to stick around a, a fair bit Uh, anecdotally and a little bit with research we've found that they'll stick around for about three to four years in a rotation you can get some benefit from rotating away from a, a, a lot of those guys do soybeans and wheat year on year if we throw in corn or maybe some cotton for a year or two we can reduce the amount of ryegrass we have but the big challenge is in the last two years, we've confirmed a five-way resistant Italian ryegrass here. So not only is it resistant to the ACCAs and ALS inhibitors we use in wheat, but also glyphosate, paraquat, and glufosinate. So we cannot kill it even in a burndown right now once it's emerged. So that that's one of the big challenges. Uh, that stuff's been kind of sticking around. We're working on some things to try to knock it back, um, but... Unfortunately, once you have those, it's going to change your production in a significant way. Wow, no kidding.
0: yeah that's that's pretty tough. You just took away all the best options. <laughs> I can' I'm trying to think, wow, well, what do you even do then at that point? Uh, you know I look at the the group 15s like you're talking about uh, Ziwa or, or anthem Flex having a group 15 in there. Uh, that that's a pretty nice solution, but we're using those in corn. We're using those in soybeans uh it seems like a matter of time before we might lose that option too if that's our only one we've got
4: and yeah that's that's the big concern um we we're on the cusp of confirming group 15 resistance in Palmer amaranth in the state but other states have already confirmed that resistance and in australia where they have big ryegrass issues they've confirmed group 15 resistance in ryegrass already so we know it's on the horizon, and that's that's why uh, my counter, my counterpart Charlie Cahoon and I are are working hard to find alternative control methods. Um, we've we've got some that look promising. You know, we're trying to do a couple years worth of work and try to roll them out to growers and try to get it under control the best we can.
0: Yeah not, a, not an easy weed to deal with especially when you've got a grass crop as well. One advantage though that we often see with wheat is if we can get early establishment we can choke things out. Is there is there a chance there that we could change planting dates or utilize fall seeded crops those types of things where we could perhaps hold the Italian ryegrass in check?
4: Yeah that's a great question. In our wheat Our only concern with going earlier, which I think we can do is hessian fly can become an issue for us. And then our other challenge is that we can get a late frost sometimes here as well. And so if we plant early, our wheat will head earlier and then we can see yield yield loss there if we get a surprise cold streak. We've been doing some work with uh, cover crops and cereal rye has looked really promising. If we can get it out, and get that biomass up. Whether we use a residual herbicide with it or not, we see significant biomass reduction and even uh, smaller seed heads that impacts that seed head growth and the number of seeds returning to the soil. So in our non-wheat years, we think cereal rye may be one of the solutions we go towards. Um, And that probably leads us down the path of figuring out maybe different seeding methods or establishment methods in our wheat years as well.
0: Yeah, cover crop was my last question, so I'm glad you brought that up. We're talking to Wes Everman down at North Carolina State. Wes, get get your work cut out for you. You got a tough one there trying to get under control (laughs) in wheat. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Really appreciate it.
4: Yeah, have a good rest of the afternoon.
0: You bet. You too talking pre-emerge wheat herbicides. If you're just tuning in and you're like, man, those guys are talking a lot about tough weeds here in wheat. We are. Uh, I know we, we grew up thinking uh, wheat is the easiest crop to control weeds in on our farm. It's a lot harder to control them in crops like soybeans, But but there are some tough weeds out there now and some good reasons to utilize pre-emerge herbicides. We'll continue that discussion and we'll take your calls and questions too as our Ag PhD radio show continues.
3: Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at deerequipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with germinator closing wheels from Farm Shop MFG.
2: And now, when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com.
4: In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born.
2: This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of
4: milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit, and they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all.
5: Officer Jones calling for backup. Send four. Location? Craver back forty. Looks like we've got Palmer amaranth, kochia, some common water hemp.
6: Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending Tough Five EC. Come out with your hands up!
2: Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough Five EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of
5: Belgian Crop Protection.
3: What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some
2: nitrogen.
5: All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check.
2: Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Envita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Envita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans.
3: Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Envita.
2: <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Envita
5: while supplies last.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce
5: passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: To, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking wheat on today's program. But of course, if you have any agronomic questions, our phone lines are open, 844 44 ag or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Washington. Got our friend Kirk Sager out there with FMC.
5: Kirk, how you doing? Pretty good, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on today. It is a bright and sunny day here in the p so how about your world? You know, it is sunny here.
0: We got some snow coming through later this week, but uh, still, even with snow coming at the end of February, we're just about there. It's almost time to be back out in the field, and it won't be long, and those little weeds will be starting. We've got kochia in our area, bad Kirk. We've got wild oats that like to come. <laughs> We've got some grass that, that likes to come that may not have had enough moisture last fall to get started, might be started this spring. Uh, maybe even little Italian ryegrass. We just got some really bad news from Wes Everman out at North Carolina State that there's five-way resistant Italian ryegrass. And he said one of the only things that's working is Anthem Flex. What, what are you seeing out in your way?
5: So we are not seeing that level of resistance Italian rye um, and I don't think we've found any particularly uh, for Anthem Flex in the PNW. I think there's some s resistance but uh, most of ours is just group one and group two resistance in the Palouse. Um, so Anthem Flex is still working well for your grassy weed control.
0: Awesome. Yeah, Wes was saying in North Carolina that's, that's what they got to do. They don't have hardly anything else that works anymore. So how do we protect Anthem Flex? How do we make sure that chemistry sticks around for a long time?
5: um rotate chemistries or sites of action i guess would be the number one don't just beat it to death i mean if you're going to use peroxy anthem flex in your winter wheat or your spring wheat use outlook or s metallic in your spring wheat um you know the other thing is be out ahead of the germination window like you said we've still got things that are going to come Use a high and use a high enough rate that we cover the entire germination window, um, and make sure that we get the get the job done season long, and we don't expose some of those later germinating uh, uh, weeds to a low rate. So, rate and timing.
0: I got a question for you. In, in, in your part of the world, I know there are some guys that like to uh, to no-till things. There are other guys that like to do tillage. Have you noticed a difference or are you seeing better performance in one situation or the other or does it change up the timing of application? Like, for example, in the Dakotas, a lot of the no-till guys like to put stuff out just a little bit earlier to give you just more chance of catching some moisture.
5: Um, you know, it, we perform better under all... Uh, under equally under con- the same conditions, some of that comes down to, especially when you get to no-till, is just residue. We can tie up on residue, and which means we need more rain and more moisture to get it off the residue and into the soil. Um, you know, the problem you run into with conventional tillage is you've got to hit that magic window between. Yeah, <laughs> you have to working it and getting a rain, a timely rain, um, before you. Um, the weeds germinate. I'm a pre-plant guy myself. I think we do a lot better job pre-plant in most situations. So if you're doing tillage, as soon as you pull out of the field, put your anthem flex down.
2: Sure.
0: Um, you know, but, uh, when when we look at it, Kirk, uh, I think a lot of guys get focused on these grasses, like we were talking about Italian ryegrass. Uh, I think about all the help we get on small-seeded broadleaves too. We're using these group 15s and other crops in some cases primarily, to try and get some additional residual help on some of these broadleaves. Well, what are some of those key ones that you see a big difference where guys uh, leave a, a check strip, whether on purpose or by accident, in some of those fields? I know sometimes you see this little weedy patch that, ah, okay, let's see what came through where we didn't get our pre on.
5: You know, we see a lot of broadleaves and they don't maybe not qualify for control, but we get suppression, you know, your prickly lettuce, especially for weed your prickly lettuce, your tansy mustard, your fiddleneck tar wheat, even your catchweed bedstraw, we see pretty good efficacy on it uh, when you compare it to the untreated checks. And sometimes it's not complete control, but you hit your post-herbicide window with smaller weeds to control
0: absolutely yeah the the size of the weeds when you're coming back for that second pass is such a big deal and you know we're talking pre-emerge herbicides for wheat today we aren't talking about hey you do one thing and your field's perfect the whole rest of the year but it does let you get off to a lot better start and let that wheat uh maybe tiller out a little better fill in a little better and hopefully shade out that next uh, next flush of weeds coming
5: exactly and and i think you guys have said it before on this and this is Anthem Flex fits perfectly into having a plan and putting it in motion, and gets you off to a good start.
0: Hey, one thing to Kirk, when you think about that, we're we're talking about the Group 15 part of Anthem Flex, but let's not forget about that PPO and their aim. Uh, that's pretty nice burn down helper. What what kind of rate of aim are you getting with the standard rates guys are using of Anthem Flex, and and what should they expect out of that?
5: Um. Number, so you're getting a helper rate. You're getting that oh, six-tenths to three-quarters of an ounce of AIM in with your Anthem Flex. So you're getting a nice helper for your your uh, Paraquat or your glyphosate. Um, it's not going to be a standalone for your kosher, You're going to need something else in there to help it out uh, at those lower rates, but it is a nice helper for your glyphosate and your Paraquat
0: yeah absolutely kind of a, a nice two mode of action product that that a guy can use pre you're going to get the residual portion out of the group 15 uh, and some burn down help out of the aim that's in there too talking with kirk sager here uh, and we get lots more we could talk about in wheat today we're just talking about the pre's but uh, kirk we'll sure have you back again
1: sometime talk a little about the fungicides and some of the other things you're doing
5: all right thank you very much guys you bet have a good
0: day
1: As we were talking about these pre's, Darren, it just got me thinking about the pre's that don't have residual because you mentioned aim there, but we got to talk about Roundup at least a little bit. Roundup still is very effective in a lot of fields, may not kill all your weeds on your farm, but it's still a really nice product for burn down. does great on most grasses, and you can throw things like I mentioned earlier with it. Sharpen, Anthem Flex, Prepare, Zidua. Those can all be tank mixed with Roundup in your burn down. Another one that I do get questions about as well is Valor. So people say, "Well, wait a second, can't I use Valor in wheat?" No, um, you got to use that a month in advance. So to me, it just doesn't fit in a lot of situations. I mean, it's possible that you could use Valor, but think about this: if let's say you used Valor in Okay, let's say you harvest a wheat crop, then you then you immediately spray Valor, you come back and plant your next wheat crop a month later, winter wheat. Well, during that month, a lot of the Valor got used up. And it's one of the things we talk about all the time where if we're going to use a pre-emerge herbicide, we want it to get us to crop canopy. Well, if you have to spray your Valor a month in advance your odds of getting to crop canopy are not real great. So, well, it could be used a month in advance. We don't usually talk about that as a true wheat pre-emerge herbicide. Uh, Also, I I just wanted to go through costs again here. I mentioned Sharpen, but I didn't mention some of these other products. So Sharpen for a couple ounces roughly costs $12. Prepare, the difference here, and again, prepare is that ALS. It's the same active as Everest 3.0, but anyway, prepare is a great pre herbicide. It's just that it's more active in high pH soils. So you can see this right on the label, even it will tell you that, but typically we're running zero. A lot of people are running 0.2 ounces in the high pH ground. So anything above seven or especially above seven, four, that costs $4. If you want to run the higher rate, 0.3 ounces in low pH, well, that only costs you $6. It's $6 an acre. And the nice thing with prepare, just like with sharpen, it's got burn down activity and residual control, so you get both. Now I'm not saying it's the perfect burn down all by itself, but I am saying it it really helps. And then with Anthem Flex, the rate most people are using is around. It's going to cost around eleven dollars. Zidua around fifteen. And again, Anthem Flex is the active ingredient found in Zidua. And the active ingredient that's found in AIM. So two different modes of action in that Anthem Flex. But anyway, I would just really encourage you, if you haven't used a pre-emerge weed herbicide before, at least try some. And especially where you want to use this is in your weediest fields or the weediest areas of fields. we we talk to people all the time that are so frustrated about their weed control and i'm like well we've got lots of options it's just yeah it costs a few dollars but if you just take a pre approach and post you should get your weeds under control in wheat. stay tuned
3: Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash US crop. Coming. The
1: weeds are coming. Hey, Paul reveal! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really. But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict herbicide. Verdict herbicide. Yeah, it's a non-HPPD
2: corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Well, oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming. Switch to Verdict herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening
0: to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm broadcasting from the Morton studio and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Jay who sent a question in. He said, all right, guys, nitrogen in the form of anhydrous ammonia was applied this past fall, late October. The ground is very dry and hard. After the application, though, the weather turned quite warm in the 70s for almost two weeks. I question if enough nitrogen is in the ground for this coming season. I've talked to several veteran farmers and my agronomist. Some say it'll be just fine. Some say 28% could be sprayed on with the pre and worked in and still others say urea could be spread over the top and the corn several feet tall. Your opinion and your strategy are appreciated uh, and uh, enjoy your radio show.
1: Okay so if it's me I am going to figure I've got enough to get me through the spring and then I would do pre nitrate tests, and then I would put more nitrogen on this summer if necessary. I don't think there's any point in panicking right now we, because also we don't know what's going to happen with the weather this spring. Let's say it's warm and relatively dry. You might get all kinds of organic matter mineralization that would make up for any nitrogen you might have lost. So we just we don't really know at this point testing is the way to find out, but uh, I, I, I mean, if I'm doing it, this is how I would most likely do it. Now, I will say, we raise a bunch of silage on our farm, and I'm, I, I now am a pretty big believer in, if, if I've got heavy soil, my, my ground can handle the nitrogen. I'd like to get as much of that out up front as possible, so I push my growth as high as possible. It's a little different than the grain discussion we usually have. I'm after tonnage. So, in that case... I might do more in the spring, but again, I don't know exactly what your soil will hold. I don't know exactly how much you put on last fall. I don't know what your soil test said from last fall and how much nitrogen was already in the soil. So I got a lot of unknowns. I'm guessing on all those things and I hate guessing. So since I'm simply guessing, (laughs) then I'm going to say I'm probably not going to put anything on up front. I'd probably just do it at side dress. I will say too, I don't like throwing urea over the top of the crop. I mean, a lot of people do it. I know that, but to me, it just burns the crop. And also I have more risk of loss that if I don't get a rain in a couple of days, or if I don't have a stabilizer on it, I mean, I'm going to start losing some. So I like liquid 28% either injected or done with like a Y drop or, you know, laid on the soil surface. So that's what I prefer, but obviously there are many ways to do it. So anyway, those are my thoughts.
0: All right, uh, let's take a call here. We've got Phil with us over in Michigan. Wants to talk a little safety. How you doing, Phil?
6: We're doing pretty good, guys. Uh, uh, here's the situation. I went over to Fremont, Michigan, uh, which is about 25, 30 miles away from my home base in Shelby. And uh, on the way back uh, on M one twenty, all of a sudden I see this big payloader on the side of the road. I slow down. I go past him. Oh my God! he has an engine fire. So I pulled off and uh, I happened to have a fire extinguisher in the truck, ran back there uh, to the guy with it he grabbed it and uh, we were able to get that fire out. And uh, I guess, th- and I carry a fire extinguisher in all my trucks and I've got them on my combine. I probably should have them in the tractors also. Yep. And, yep great idea. You know, uh, you need to make sure those things are charged on a regular basis, and I was thinking, you know, what would happen if I hadn't stopped? Oh, that could have been tragic. Absolutely, uh, to lose a piece of equipment. So you know, hey, you know, it's not really harvest season or planting season yet, but uh, you never know when you're going to come upon an emergency.
1: Absolutely, and, uh,
6: the old Boy Scout model. Be prepared. <laughs> hey, and two, exactly
1: so. you talk about making sure that the fire extinguishers are ready. We have a company come in and check them all out for us every year, rather than trusting that oh we'll remember or we'll bring one in to get it recharged. So, and it costs very little to do that, and then they just they can replace stuff. They check things over. So anyway, that's what we do every year on our farm, just to make sure that things are good to go just in case we need them
6: exactly and uh, we have that type of company in this area uh, unfortunately i don't use them enough but uh, i guess uh, god was with me today <laughs> and uh, uh watching over both of us and uh, the guy was a dairy farmer i recognized the farm name i don't know the individual personally but uh, you know, I guess I get a gold star on the middle of my forehead for uh, being a good guy
1: today <laughs> yep the good Samaritan story in the modern age hey uh, Phil thanks a lot we appreciate what you're doing out there and uh, good luck to you on your farm this spring
6: okay thank you guys
1: you bet. okay Brian
0: here's the test this is from Joe in Colorado. A soil test he tried sorry. to pass <laughs> off of somebody else's sorry in here. Joe. Go ahead. Tried to tried to pass your test off as belonging to Nelson, but it wasn't his.
1: I can almost bet what the question's gonna. Okay, be. Okay, let's do this. Go let's ahead.
0: play that game. You guess. You guess the question because yeah. you're going to be wrong. But go for uh, it.
1: Okay, so it's either I got micronutrient issues or it's I got low magnesium.
0: Okay. Well, he doesn't talk about any of that. He's leaving that up to you. But <laughs> okay. he said, first of all, uh, enjoy your egg PhD show. I've got a small farm, and here's my soil test to give you the south half. I plan on planting dry land alfalfa. Okay. So the south half needs an alfalfa wreck. The bottom, I plan on planting to dry land corn. Okay. And the hill forage oats. And I'd like some fertility recommendations. My area gets 15 inches of moisture per year is all uh, and just just curious and Joe leaves his email
1: address so we can send Wait, stuff back to you. is this all dry land? Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, so that's it? No other yep.
0: questions? Yep, he's going to do alfalfa on some, corn on some, and oats on some. Now, okay. first of all, Joe, I don't know how big your farm is, so I don't know how big these fields are. And I'm assuming it's relatively small areas, so you felt comfortable with one test for, for each one. But uh, if, if you've got large areas, there's probably some variability out in those fields right. that, that makes it tricky to make a great recommendation just off one sample. But I'm not trying to cut Brian any slack here, but that does make
1: it a little tough. With his south half, the the one that he says is going to alfalfa, I look at a couple of things and I love them. First of all, soil pH is 7.3. Now, normally we'd say that's a hair high, but for alfalfa, that's about perfect. His potassium is 5.6%. And here's the other thing. The reason why he's in the bottom one, the one that's going to corn, it appears to be a little bit low in magnesium is because he's got some excess lime out there. So that's why his calcium is going to look a little bit higher than it should. If you ran a uh, cation displacement test, you could see, okay, what is it really? Because I don't think the magnesium on that one is actually, I uh, know it's not actually that low. But anyway, here's where I'm going on all this. Um, He's got good pH, and he has, uh, where this alfalfa is going to be, 525 parts per million of potassium. He's at 5.6% base saturation K. That's great. So usually we say, look, you want to load up your P and K before you seed that alfalfa, so you get it down in the ground, put it where you, you need it, where you can get the best extraction over your next three to five years, however long that alfalfa is in the ground. But I would say his phosphorus level is kind of low. His P1 is 23. His P2 is 91. His Olson is 21. So if it's me... What I'm spending my money on, nothing on potassium, nothing on pH correction, nothing on calcium and magnesium. I'm spending it on phosphorus, and then I'm going to look at some of these micronutrients and a secondary nutrient. So I'll just read this quickly because I know this is making for great radio. But anyway, sulfur, he's at 8 parts per million. Zinc, 0.4 parts per million. Copper, 0.6. And boron's only at 1. And you might say, well, boron at 1 isn't that bad. Well, he's got calcium of 3,550 parts per million, and even if you figure some of the excess lime and take some of that out, he's probably still a, a good enough so he could have boron levels of 2, 2.5 parts per million or more in that field, and we know that alfalfa is responsive to boron. So where I'm going with all this is- Are you going to
0: spend all of Joe's profits before he even gets a crop brain?
1: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I would put on some sulfur, I'd put on some zinc, I'd put on some copper, I'd put on some boron. On the manganese, okay. it's really low. But, I might but even ru- throw a little bit of that on, but too. But the rule
0: of thumb is feed this feed this crop first. If you have some extra money that you can invest in building things up for the long term,
1: go ahead I'm and not, do that, I'm too. not interested in building it for the long term. I'm just talking about feeding this crop Of alfalfa for the next three to five years that's my big concern and here's your chance to get stuff in the ground the other two fields it's really not a whole lot different I'm looking at uh, well the corn fields good on phosphorus the other one forage oats you need some more phosphorus but it's micronutrients on every one of these and sulfur stay tuned we'll be right back it's planting season
3: race against the clock season mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster, that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground.
1: Hi, Greg Sauter. Shopping for a 2x2 system for your planter? Take a close look at 360 Bandit. When we designed Bandit, I made sure it applied bands of nitrogen the perfect place for rapid root uptake. And I made sure Bandit didn't interfere with the critical functions of the planter, like depth and seed placement. You won't find a better, low-cost system for the ideal nitrogen placement on your planter. Get the information you need at
3: 360yieldcenter.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us here on the Morton Studio, radio at agphd.com. That last question uh, from Joe with three different crops, it's kind of interesting. We were kind of rushed a little bit there at the end just to, to say for alfalfa. Man, this is your one shot to get nutrients down deep, especially nutrients that don't move around like phosphorus.
1: And especially when you only get 15 inches of rain. So and here, you're going to be frozen for a good chunk of the year. Right. So two things. Number one, nutrients aren't going to move much with only 15 inches of rain. So you definitely want them down in the root zone. The next thing is nutrients go into the plant with moisture. Well, your moisture levels on the soil surface are going to be sketchy. A lot of the year, but down in the soil deeper, you probably you probably have a better shot of having moisture and getting those nutrients into the plant. So what we're saying is with the same fertilizer dollar investment over three years, you're ahead to put a lot of these nutrients that don't move like phosphorus and and zinc and copper, for example, down in the ground a little bit where the crop can use them and where it has a better chance for recovery. So with the same dollars invested, you should get more tonnage by placing the nutrients right. It's not just about which nutrients you use, it's about how you use them. But then the other thing is... It's more important for you when you're in a 15-inch moisture environment to do the right things fertility-wise, because if your crop starts to run short on any one nutrient, and I don't care what it is, even if it is boron or you know some nutrient you know you rarely think about. Well, you know what your plant does? It starts bringing more water in, even if it doesn't need the water. It's bringing water in, trying to get the nutrient that it's short on. So you make your crop a water waster when you don't fertilize with the right with the right amount the right nutrients putting them in the right place i mean it's it's just more critical for you in that low moisture environment but yeah in when we talk about the short-term crops oats and corn and stuff like that I, i mean you got a chance every year to make corrections but with alfalfa this is your one shot for the next three to five years
0: All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Uh, This one comes in from Zach. Uh, He said, guys, uh, I've heard you talk about TJ Micromix before on your farm. I don't know if they still make that. If so, where can I find it? If not, what have you switched to? What have you found for a micronutrient blend?
1: Uh, Yeah, we really like that. We talked about that a lot five to 15 years ago because it was a a number of different products and just the way that they were formulated – we were getting decent results. Uh, we do talk a lot about liquid. There are other products out there, but probably the biggest thing is to soil test, to try to figure out what you actually need, and go from there. But we like some of these blended products with the planter and foliar because... Well, they may be, you might look at it and go, wow, it's just really low rates. Well, look at, take a look at nutrient removal. I mean, you do not need a lot of micronutrients to feed a crop for a year. And I like when it's liquid. I like when it's relatively close to the plant. So I I can feel more confident that the plant is going to get that. And the other nice thing about it is when it can get it in ratio, because I just want you to think about this for a second. Let's say that we're putting dry fertilizer out, and I've got all these different fertilizers I'm putting on. Let's say I got a copper pellet, a zinc pellet, a boron pellet, just as an example for micronutrients. Okay, so the odds that the plant at the exact same time is going to hit each one of those the copper, the zinc, and the boron are pretty slim. Think about it for yourself and your own body. What do they say? It's eat a balanced diet. It's not eat all steak one day, all whatever, green beans the next day, and the next day, eat all fiber. I mean, that's usually... Where's the the ice cream, (laughs) Come on. Okay, maybe day four is all the ice cream. But anyway, where I'm going with this is when you stop and think about it logically for just a second, and I'm not saying we don't use dry fertilizer. I love using dry fertilizer to build the overall soil profile. But in terms of making sure that crop has something for each one of the nutrients at the same time, that's where the liquid's pretty nice. So anyway, just something for you to think about there.
0: Okay, got a, a little bit of a head scratcher for me here on this one, Brian. So we got a soil test here from Ooh, then.
1: I really like it. Go from ahead,
0: Indiana, South Central Indiana. Yep, forty-five inches of rain per year. So yep. wildly different than the last one that we had. Yep. 230, 250 bushel corn, 70 bushel beans. Now he's shooting for 270 on corn and 80 bushels on beans Got consistently. Yep. This is from Emory. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, thanks, guys. Really appreciate the the information. It's been really valuable for our operation. Now, I've been watching your soils clinic, and one thing I found alarming is your magnesium to potassium ratio at 2 to 1 or at least 1 to 1 in some of your charts uh, just looking at trends. Oh, because his see,
1: magnesium is lower than his potassium. Go ahead. Yeah, as
0: you can see, we get low magnesium here. So we've used dolomite lime in the past when our mag levels would get below 100 parts per million. However, this is expensive as the closest quarry is 80 miles away. We also have used Kmag in the in the past but the price has just gotten out of hand hey guess what so as all fertilizer emory it's been crazy hey you know Although what though nitrogen's to... been coming way down now yeah, but starting, anyway starting ahead. to trend down a little bit okay uh in the last couple of years we had applied no mag at all so if these are my best options we'll just have to buck up and spend the money if there are other options please share what do you think
1: I'm gonna look back at some of our data because it's so rare for us. We have so much magnesium in a lot of our yeah, soils because we have we've got really high in clay. We've got
0: really high mag. Like we we are not fertilizing with magnesium. We've got a lot of lot of mag just naturally in our soils. So for us, a lot of the the thing is, our when we talk about that ratio, it's are we getting our potassium up? You're kind of on the opposite side. Are you getting your magnesium up? So it, you might have a little bit different data. That's why we think it's so important to do soil tests and then to see what your yields are. Oh, well, me, what so your yields are on those soil. You test know, points.
1: when we were below one to one, it still wasn't too bad. I mean, our our worst, a, a lot of our. Well, let me let me rephrase this. All of our bad yields were not where we had less than one-to-one ratio. In other words, if the potassium was above the magnesium in terms, of, in terms of parts per million, that wasn't this enormous yield penalty. But like Darren is saying, you can test that out yourself. But here here's the reason why he's in this situation. His potassium levels, we often talk four to eight percent. He's in the range here of 5.3% all the way up to 8.7%. And then as magnesium, we usually say, you know, 12 to 20, something like that. He's got lighter soil. Uh, we're talking 7.6 to 10.6 cation exchange capacity. So a lot of times with lighter soil, we like the magnesium level to be a little bit higher because that helps bind the soil together. It helps hold a little more moisture. You can basically tighten a sandy soil With magnesium to some degree. So, ideally, we'd love to be in that 18 to 20% range on magnesium. But, like I say, he's in the call it 9 to 11% magnesium. So, yeah, I I mean, if it's me, I'm gonna try some things, I'm gonna try some different sources of magnesium. I'm concerned a little bit about your dolomite lime because the lowest pH you got here is 6.1 and the highest is 7.2. So it doesn't appear to me like you need lime. So I guess that's one of the things. Um, beyond that, I would just say, I mean, there's nothing like super bad that I see on your soil test. But sulfur is really low, which would be expected in light soil. Uh, Boron is really low, which would be expected in light soil. You got to fertilize with those things every single year. And then phosphorus, you do have some areas that are 30 parts per million with a Malik three. That's that's not very much, but you have other areas 200, 250 parts per million phosphorus. So that's great. So it's just to me, it's a lot about variable rate, making some adjustments through the field, and also don't. Uh, fall asleep on your potassium thing because while you're great at 5.3 to 8.7 percent base saturation K you only have 172 parts per million up to 312 parts per million so in a light soil your light soil just can't hold a lot so I'm still going to put on probably crop removal on K I'm going to build my phosphorus levels in the areas I need to build them and then beyond that I'm taking a look at the, the magnesium thing and trying some things out and then testing, okay, did this make a difference for yield or did it not? I can just tell you stuff from our farm, but obviously I can't tell you from your farm. So it would be, it would be kind of neat to see if you do make some, uh, do, do try some things on the magnesium end.
0: Thanks for those questions. We really appreciate it. As we mentioned earlier in the show today, we've got Neil Kinsey coming to town here the next three days. If you're interested in hearing from one of our mentors on fertility and soils, you can check out all the details at agphd.com and you can even watch the workshop. It's a three-day workshop. You can watch it from the comfort of your own home if you would like. Uh, So sign up there again agphd.com. Just click on the events and look for the Neil Kinsey seminar. Thanks for joining us on today's program. We really appreciate it. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.